Hey everybody, it's Mario here, host, or one half of the host of the Peaky Pod, alongside... The other half of your host, Zachary. Welcome. Hey, well, thanks for listening to this episode. This is the first time we actually do a pre-roll ad, and you'll probably hear it one more time at the end. But we'd just like to announce an upcoming show that we are planning called the Story Archive Show. We plan on that being our kind of hub for doing one-off uh, reviews of movies and maybe specific episodes of TV shows that are on our gauntlet or thanos gauntlet of Mm -hmm. the greatest tv shows ever and uh we want to invite you to subscribe we're going to put the links in there but if you don't want to go to the show notes just type in spotify or apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts the story archive show and we should pop up so please subscribe follow us and uh let us know how you're liking the peaky pod we hope you enjoy this episode and take care thank you And we are live. Welcome back to another wonderful episode of the Peaky Blinders podcast by Story Archives. I'm your host, Mario, alongside a very Christmas sweatered out and uh, sober. (sighs) Listen, I've already had one. Zachary Newton. Welcome, everybody. I feel like whenever you call someone sober, it feels more like an inherent insult. Which I immediately, as I said it, I was like, that didn't sound right. It almost sounded like Zach's always drunk. Yeah, I know. And when I say he's sober, it's like four days sober, baby. Well, when you call somebody sober, it's it's like the the connotation is you're implying that they're never sober. Is it? Because there's some time. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, let's get into it. We're we're premiering season four of the Peaky Blinders, um, podcast as well, but the show. Yeah, and. I'm going to be straight up honest. We've rewatched this. I've seen season four, I think, two times at least. I think two times. I don't think I've rewatched season wow, four. Wow, this is the least you've seen anything. This is the Typically least rewatched it's like seven, season. 27, 17. This is two. Yeah, this is two. Um, but f- for me, it was always one of these things where I remembered a few moments fondly, mm-hmm. but this season in particular was never topping my list of favorites as a whole. Uh, for Peaky Blinders, but having finished the series, season six is out in the U.S. It's been mm-hmm. out in Europe and I think most other countries has been out. And I'm re-watching four and I feel like a broken record because I said this about season three. I caught myself the other day watching season uh, episode one, which we're going to re- do now, mm-hmm. but I kept on rolling into two and three and I was like, I, I've watched at least three episodes already of the season. I know we're supposed to do one a night, but... yeah. Uh, Damn it, it's good. The progression of Tommy over all of the seasons is just, it's something to just love. And the, the entire family, like there's just the progression of their story from bookmakers to what they are now, which is, you kind of get this glimpse of Tommy now as he feels like, he looks like he's gotten into the rhythm of being like the political gangster, like playing the both sides of high society and and then the underbelly of his Shelby Company Limited. <laughs> Thoughts on uh, on episode one of, of just like impressions after what you remembered of watching it first time? I I, I always liked the, be- the beginning of this episode. I remember the, even from the very first time that I watched this, I was kind of just watching with my jaw dropping, I guess, on, on 
like the first what five minutes or so where you know everybody's heading to the gallows and you know at first when when you see it happening you know there's a plan right like and and that's that's what makes you feel okay about everything you know there's a plan but then you find out from from michael's mouth that uh this isn't the plan and, and things things are going weird somebody sped something up and so it really kind of turns up the heat at the beginning of this episode but I mean, that, that's probably like the biggest moment that I recall out of this. I still think it is, it's a pretty good opening um, set of scenes here with the whole, you know, about to be hung, kind of saved uh, saved by the bell at the very last minute here. But mm-hmm. I mean, that that's my favorite part, honestly, out of, out of this episode, I think. Well, Tommy did say it when, when they all got arrested, he's like, Trust me, I have a plan. I've made a deal with people more powerful than them. Mm-hmm. You know, we're gonna get you out because it's interesting when the start of the episode, when the begin episode begins, you get the impression that this their cases have been expedited to hang them sooner. Yeah, exactly. and they were supposed to be hanged, and so it's one of those things where you're wondering who is behind it, who is the cause, and you figure it has to be something with Section D or the Economic League mm-hmm. uh, in some some regard here. Um, I was just enjoying the overall, like the whole montage of the scene of everybody's reaction to it because it's got to be, imagine you're just chilling in your cell, you think nothing's coming, and then all of a sudden they're taking you to go hang. It's gut-wrenching. Yeah, gut wrenching, and you see every single one of them is kind of handling it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. You know, Michael is is kind of like trying to bargain. Arthur's fighting back. Uh, John as well, uh, and Polly's kind of gotten into like this mystical, spiritual, witchy side of herself. That uh, yeah, you know, it's not so far fetched for Polly. It's not. She. So this is the episode where I feel like she has gone off the deep end and she's just, we've kind of seen her progress into somebody we didn't, at least I didn't really think she was in the last season. However, this just kind of, this is very different. This is like Polly in this season is not Polly from the past like at I, all anymore i've got to say scariest for polly because she's going by herself to hang everyone else is going together yeah i found you know? it interesting that they separated the women from the men for this yeah. whole uh hanging scene yeah michael looks the most terrified of the three men uh, polly doesn't react well either but you know there's this old i don't know who the guy is lord constabulary the old guy who in the robe that is is dealing with the opposite side because we're seeing both the the Shelby family being taken to the gallows and then we're also seeing mm-hmm. Tommy's plan unveiling or un you know coming together behind the scenes yeah right and what what's happening is in the robbery of the Russian mansion Tommy found some letters and one of them happened to be a personal letter from the king which incriminated him for being a part of the Russian business that was going on last season with the Bolsheviks and the weapons and Mm -hmm. uh, the explosion of the train, all of that. So Tommy's using that as blackmail to not only get his family out from being hung, but also to secure himself an OBE. And an OBE is, uh, I don't know what OBE stands for. 
I'm going to look it up real quick because I'm American, but it's a officer of the most excellent order of the British Empire. So these are the most honorable people, (laughs) the most celebrated names in society. And Tommy's just taking the opportunity to just leverage this to the max because he already has an import uh, import license, correct? Yes, he does. He got that uh, in like season two, one Mm -hmm. or two. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In in a similar way, right? Leveraging something he had done in order to get something out of out of the uh mm-hmm. the government always gotta be, be planning your next step man yeah you know later in the episode we found out that uh on the gallows john boy why does esme bring that up she says he shot himself he I shit don't his know, pants man. in the oh, why <laughs> bring the that up in front I of his anybody to tell it's tell very under, it's understandable but like just don't bring it up in conversation it's like yeah. esme whenever she's locked in any sort of confined space she just doesn't know how to act yeah, like even so much so that all their portraits are freaking i know this was probably pissing you off all their mm-hmm. portraits on their walls were not level or like they were all lopsided mm-hmm. in the house <laughs> i kind of th- i i, I kind of felt like the reason why she said that was just because i, I feel like everybody pictures john boy as this hothead fearfulless or fearless uh human being and here we have this this happens because of tommy and it's the one thing that's scared him made him as she said shit herself yeah i <sighs> shit himself sorry yeah yeah well you know she's i we may need to add another character another category of in, most infuriating moment of the episode because <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit but after the saving the family from the gallows scene, we fast forward a year to December 23rd, 1925. And we find uh, Tommy, who's in a very nice hotel, enjoying a nice whiskey sour. One of many. And you. getting a little bit of a lecture from Lizzie, who seems to be helping him with the family side of life. Uh, mm-hmm. Lizzie's come over and said, you know, she's wrapped all of Charles' presents and... Um, She's trying to essentially smooth the bridge over the whole, hey, you know, you almost got your whole family killed uh, beef that's going on here. Yeah, this season, or not this season, but this episode specifically, uh, really feels like Tommy's kind of been exiled from the family. Nobody at all wants him involved with anything. They don't want to see him. He's not living too bad. No, he's not living bad. He's getting a different, different whore every night. Sipping whiskey sours, according to him, he says he's free. You know, priorities, man. You know, he he says it. He says it to Lizzie. Mm-hmm. But no, honestly, he's just hiding it. But he's doing a pretty poor job of it, uh, of being miserable. He's a year estranged from his family, and it's, yep. it shows that he's kind of, although he seems like he's kind of gotten his his balance as his what bearings, I felt was yeah. an imbalance in season three. It felt like he was way over his head in season three with who the players were. Season mm-hmm. four feels like right off the bat, we have a Tommy who's a year into this thing. Yeah. He's an obese, OBE, so he's re- he's a respected member of society now, publicly. And a little, un- I wouldn't want to say untouchable, but at the end of the day, as far as we know, he was successful with Churchill's mission in season three. Although we didn't get a resolution with that in, in season three or any Churchill appearance. Yeah, we didn't get any Churchill on that. I think they need to make Churchill a regular in Peaky Blinders. That would have been nice. I just love, I just love Winston <laughs> Churchill. So to me, it's like anything Winston Churchill, I'm, I'm there. That's it. Yeah. Um, Tommy spends the night with Teresa. Or is it Teresa? What's her name? I think so. I didn't really catch the name. 
Interestingly enough, this will come up later in the season, is, is Tommy's lifestyle and whether this vendetta that emerges between the Italians who are seeking revenge and, and the aspects of Tommy's life that they are exploiting mm-hmm. uh, in order to get close to him and to do harm to him and his family or to get information. Like bowl, Do you like Bowler Hat, Tommy, in this episode? Not so much. I hate seeing him in any other hat besides the flat cap. Yeah. You've got to have the flat top or flat cap, whatever whatever it's called. He looks lame with anything else other than the flat cap. It's the peaked cap. That's what you need. Flat top is like what? What, That's like what Abe Lincoln wore or something like that. Is it? I thought that was a top hat. I guess it's a top hat. I don't know. I'm not a hat connoisseur. No, you know, neither. I must say the woman in the last scene. I'm anti-fedora though. Anti-fedora. I I don't like those at all. Um the the woman in the last scene for a moment i thought was lizzie it looked it looked just like her the the dark black hair there was only one which, she got which woman close. the the one that tommy spent the night with i didn't think so she looked very um she looked very exotic very like european mm. unspoken european country i don't i don't know maybe it was the fact that the uh reflection of her was upside down oh (laughs) maybe made it a little hard yeah yeah um tommy has a meeting with michael the following day i I really like the fact that this episode starts with a sequence of days usually in peaky we don't know what day it is Mm -hmm. for the most part but it starts on the 23rd now he's meeting with michael on the 24th and we're leading towards christmas and I'm a yeah. sucker for a good Christmas episode of anything, but yeah. this this one's a bit darker. It's not my type of Christmas episode. <laughs> Any, you know, they always say this. There's a thing about Christmas episodes in a in a TV show. It's like a thing. Were you aware? Yeah, I guess. They're usually always the best episodes, the Christmas episodes. Well, it's it's always the the warmest. It feels great. Right? You get the sense of family coming together. What year was this in? Do you remember? 1925. 1925 so december 3rd 23rd 1925 was a wednesday okay not that that is very soon i was just looking it up you're talking (laughs) about the days so i was like i was wondering what day that was yeah in tommy's meeting with michael he talked they talk a lot about a lot of things about the business the troubles they're dealing with in the factory because of this woman named jesse eden who we get introduced to shortly and we get the sense that although Tommy's been estranged from his family, he seems to be more concerned for Polly than Michael seems to be. Uh, he admits to having driven by her house and seeing the drain pipe hanging off the house. And Michael lets us know, catches us up with what Polly's been up to. She's apparently been seeing spirits and holding seances in her home, mm-hmm. uh, which Michael says has just been a, a show of people coming in and stealing things from the house. Yeah. And Tommy gives him instructions to throw the tablets that she's been taking since the whole traumatic experience of nearly being hung and to get her off the whiskey. I'm drinking whiskey. Should I be concerned? No, I don't think so. Not unless you start talking Romany and uh, trying to hold a seance. You know, I heard a a little trivia bit of Peaky Blinders that they didn't hire a, ling- a dialect coach or dialect advisor. I don't even know what the hell mm-hmm. that is on set, but I, I mean, it's kind of use context clues yeah. i don't blame them um and i'm not going all wokey here or anything like that but uh, su- supposedly the romany that they speak in the show is like broken romanian it's not actually romany mm-hmm. which i wouldn't know the difference you could literally speak Meaning it to my it. face and, and i wouldn't know but yeah uh, i found that interesting i watched one of these videos that was like terribly formatted but really interesting information <laughs> um 
it was like very poppy. It was like this this chick's voice, like seven things you didn't know about Peaky Blinders. <laughs> John Boy. And it's like all these things. Well, we get a little bit of a montage here of the whole family of what they've been up to for the last year. Polly's been going into full witch mode. Uh this generation would love it. All she's missing are little amethyst rocks laying around all the house That's and about shit it. like that. Yeah. John Boy, I like John Boy's look, although he looks like he looks like a I don't know what is like a bull in a china shop in the in the countryside. Just he doesn't look about, like he, yeah, he doesn't fit in. He doesn't the, fit in the outfit. He's, he looks it's, it's a great outfit, but I agree. And the beagles, I think the beagles are a nice touch. Like those hunting those hounds that mm-hmm. are running with them. I thought that was a great look for John Boy. <laughs> I like that he f- feels he can just whip out a pistol and shoot a flying bird with it. Well, he's probably more accurate with the pistol. <laughs> Remember last season when they go and teach Michael how to shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's hitting every bottle off the off the shelf that's true is now, this is this them trying to tell us that he's out of practice maybe good point i didn't see it that way uh well ada visits them i think ada's returned from boston because last time we checked she was i do believe she was headed to boston she was heading to boston on business yeah well she's back now and she's making her rounds with the family and she's looking really good very pretty uh and esme has added up to here with the whole Tommy Company Limited. She's on her high horse about whether to accept money from them or not. I remember a time when Esme leaned very seductively across the table, or rather suggestively, not seductively, and told Tommy, "Let's run away. We yeah. can go to France. We can still be, we can still be get lost there." Yeah, you know, very, very, uh, very. What's that? What's the festival in the sixties? uh woodstock yeah very woodstocky for right now we can still go get lost man (laughs) uh i think uh, you know it's deservedly so that tommy's being for anything that he's done this is a an understandable yeah estrangement here going on yeah what do you think about uh chicken chicken coop lord uh arthur over here it is it is a very interesting perspective on arthur although i think he owns it like I could, I could. If you didn't know about any of his past, <laughs> he does. He right? totally fits into this uh, to this world here of just having his own farm, smoking a cigar, and just like collecting chicken eggs. Oh, absolutely, or- absolutely. But in the back of my mind, I know he can't live without the other life. Looks like a fish out of water. Yeah, that's true. How'd Enter like, stage uh, right, Jesse Eden. Oh yeah. Oh, sorry. What do you? What well, were you asking? I was, I was just gonna go back to to Michael and comment on you know how how he seems like he's grown up quite a bit between well I guess yes. while everything has transpired he's doing cocaine now so that's that's well, a little different but Michael's always been an opportunist yeah. uh in terms of his ambitions and he seems the most well adjusted in terms of dealing with Tommy and also the one who wants him back in the family is m- more than anybody else at least you know mm-hmm. goes so far as to ask him when he's giving his advice about Polly to say you coming back tom which is interesting i mean michael joined this whole thing because he was enamored with tommy mm-hmm. right that's really the reason he joined is he wanted to be like tommy yeah he wanted the lifestyle he wanted the money he wanted the he wanted the power that tommy has yeah i mean it's interesting michael actually is the only person in the family that was due to hang that is still with tommy yeah, that that's that's kind of the the point I'm getting at is yeah. that he's put it behind him. At the end of the day, they would have died without Tommy, you know. Yep. 
they also would have lived without Tommy because <laughs> nobody would be in this is mess. true. Nobody would be in that business to yeah. begin with, but he did save them too. Yeah. It's, it's hard also, you know, Tommy doesn't make it easy either. He kind of plays the violin whenever he's in the wrong about something. Oh, of course. Of course. So. This is all I can give you for what yeah. you give me. Yeah. Which, you know, which is fitting as well because the whole business with the Russians was his doing. Yep. He went over his head in season one, and it's just, it's a continued, you know, it's like the one domino after another. Yeah, I mean, he he definitely deserves the big middle finger that he's getting from his family in this. Yeah. The peaky cut this season has is very much longer on the top, huh? Yeah, well, I mean, he's more of a businessman, less of a gangster now, right? Yeah. So I guess he, he just, he grew it out. Another fun fact about the haircut. Apparently, when they were doing this, this was for soldiers. Mm-hmm. And it was to prevent, like, parasites or something like that. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. I don't know why. Well, Maybe you could see them or clean your head better. No idea. Well, uh, they can't really latch on to anything. That's true. Well, Jesse Eden is a union labor organizer. She's kind of like Freddie Thorne a bit. She, like, organizes these strikes and fights for things. But I don't think she's a communist. I think she's just a socialist. And she's fighting for equal wages between men and women. Women. Mm-hmm. Which Tommy claps back at pretty hard and says, all right, you want uh, equality for wages? Well, how about since the men are getting paid 10 shillings more than the women, I'll lower the men's shillings by five and raise the women's by five and we'll be in, be in the middle. Yeah. And I'll tell them it was, this was all your bright idea uh-huh. to, to raise equality. You know, there's a big debate <laughs> in sports about whether women should be paid the same as men. Mm-hmm. And probably some women's sports, they should be paid more like women's soccer. Like, you know, they do a bit more. At mm-hmm. least they succeed a bit more in the national stage and get some ratings and pool. I, I agree with that one. But there's a lot of men, like male athletes, who are outspoken about it. <laughs> I wonder what they would say because usually like the NBA owns the WNBA mm-hmm. and vice versa, MLS and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. If they were to say, all right, guys, you want it? Then uh, we're going to have to reduce the male salaries mm-hmm. <laughs> in the <laughs> NBA by about 50% and we'll raise the women's up by about 50%. And uh, we'll meet it there. <laughs> I would I would like to see how that would play out. I'll I leave imagine there'd be a lot of uproar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think they I think they would uh, all become a little more soft spoken mm-hmm. about, <laughs> about things <laughs> after that. All right. Um, Ooh, the black hand. Yes, let's get to the black hand of the Changretas. Let's give a little recap for the listeners because I know I forget things all the time on this show. Yeah. The previous season, Grace is shot on episode two of season three, I believe. Uh, she's killed. Yep, episode two. By the Italians who meant to kill Tommy because of a beef that John really stirred up. Because Lizzie was dating Angel Changretta, which was the son of the Changretta mob boss, right? And that was when Tommy was dealing with some stuff and he needed John and Arthur to take that meeting alone with him. Mm-hmm. and john insulted him and took it a step further by slashing his son's face yeah right and then it, eventually killing him right no they killed him after they killed uh grace true so they cut up his face and then the changretta they also took two of their bars remember mm-hmm. they took some of their property as well yep um which Tommy was down with. Remember, it was like Arthur was saying, hey, but Tommy this was is not right. Yeah. And Polly was saying, just compromise, you know. We'll send Lizzie. She'll apologize, whatever. Well, they all doubled down as a show of strength, but they went too far. 
and the assassination gets botched and Grace dies as a result. Mm-hmm. They then kill the father of Angel, who was the one who put the hit on Tommy. And apparently there's another son in America named Luca Changretta, played by Adrian Brody. Is that his name? Adrian Brody? I believe it so. It sounds familiar. I'm almost 100% positive, but there's another Brody that I, I mix him up with sometimes. Yeah, Adrian Brody. Yeah. Who I got to say is meant to play a 1920s Italian mobster. Uh, he's great. Or just a 1920s Italian period. Mm-hmm. He just has the look of somebody from that time frame. Uh, although he does seem like something like a stylized version of what an Italian mobster is. I agree with that. I do agree with that. It's almost, it almost too feels much. a little too over the top. Yeah, agreed. But agreed. yeah, Luca, Luca Cengretta is the one who sent the black hand. He was the brother of Angel uh, Cengretta, who was the, the one that, that John Boy got in a fight with him. Vincent Cengretta was both uh, their father. Yeah. And you know, perhaps, no, I think this black hand happens regardless, no matter what occurs, because they could have killed Changretta's uh, wife as well, which she still went to New York, which is where Luca was. Well, if I actually disagree, because if they killed his wife, word would not have gotten to Luca that they were dead, at least not in the same manner. And nobody would have known. Of course, they would have known. It was the blinders. Of course, they would have known, because they would have known that Grace died. And come on, it's like put two and two together. Remember, it, uh, it could be. It, it, I mean, it, it, it's always possible. I kind of. I mean, it's I not wanna, the, it's I want to think that it wouldn't have happened if uh, the thing if is they like killed Audrey as well. If it was like the 1500s, yeah, but it's 1925. So at this point, they can still communicate across the pond. For sure. What I want to know is that Luca was arrested for a bank robbery. How was he so easily allowed back in the country? I'm assuming he had a fake ID or something. I would imagine so. I mean, the ID said he was an American, not an Italian. So I'm assuming it's a fake ID. You know what what this season does really well? Hmm. Linda, at this point, we're starting to see the the bubbling of Linda. You know, of, of what she eventually... Yeah. Of how she reacts so negatively towards the criminal work that Arthur has to do. At times, yeah. And you, um, but there's not a lot of focus on her. No, there's not, especially not in this episode. I mean, I I only recall her in here for what a, a couple of minutes at most. Mm-hmm. Um, the Chingretta's mob, whatever you would call that, uh, had a heavy rivalry rivalry with uh, Al Capone. Did they? Yeah. Well, you know they're working in cahoots with Sabini because as we find out later in the episode, Tommy has an infiltrator working in his kitchen who has been sent as an assassin to take him out. Mm-hmm. And it's Sabini's also kind of part of it because he's probably coordinating it. Sabini wants his power back too. And what better way to do it than to take out the family that took you out <laughs> and to kind of wipe your hands clean of it. Yeah. As well. Like you're not directly doing it, but you're kind of part of it. Mm-hmm. I love this scene between Michael and Polly later in the episode where he encounters her and pretty much relays all of the instruction that Tommy gave him to do with her. <laughs> and she sees straight through it. 
she says, I hear Tommy's voice in yours. Like she's truly, she has like this discernment towards things of like knowing people's motives. Mm-hmm. That is just so interesting. No, she's definitely good at calling it out. I also think she knows Tommy extremely well, right? Like Tommy has this very specific way of talking, dealing with situations. Although, even though Micah was becoming very Tommy-like in the last season, it's interesting that she can still distinguish between Michael and Tommy in the words that he uses and how he uses it. Yeah. Uh, I've kind of glossed over something here we both did. As everybody's realizing that they've been served a black hand, Arthur and John have been alerted towards what's going on and what that means. Mm -hmm. A black hand means that they're coming for the whole family, Mm -hmm. which means that it's not just Tommy, John, and Arthur who are at risk. It's also Ada, Polly, Michael, and pretty much anybody who has Shelby or Gray attached to their name. Anybody anybody in relation to the Shelbys dies, essentially. (laughs) So, the, the plan is from Tommy is to return to a friendly base where they have control of power, where everybody within a square mile is a soldier for them, and that's the area of... Small Heath or Birmingham, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, Birmingham, yep. Ada is kind of like the, she's like the vessel this episode of, of going from family member to family member. Mm-hmm. Nobody's talking to each other, but Ada's talking to everybody. Yeah. As is Michael in his own way, but he still works for the Shelby company, so he's a little less welcome in certain homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly Linda and Esme seem to be the biggest proponents of not wanting to work for Tommy again. You get the sense that it's not so much a beef between brothers as it is uh, a beef between women and Tommy. <laughs> Honestly, mostly, I, I think that's what it comes with. It's it's Polly that doesn't uh, like Tommy at all. Arthur and John Boy don't seem to, you know, hate Tommy really. I'm sure they're not thrilled with the situation, but it's it's uh, Linda like the, and enough enough Esme. time has passed. You yeah, know? yeah, get over it. Well, shit. I mean, it's kind of tough to get over it. Literally, a noose is around your neck, man. (laughs) It's all a part of the plan. Yeah, I like. He's uh, not. He's not uh, the one in the noose, though. No, of course not. He's he's the mastermind. I like Tommy's uh, armory that he has there with those uh, repeater. That is pretty sick, right? Yeah, I wish I had one of those. He's got (laughs) to put that under lock and key. It's just like open. You notice that? Yeah. I love John Boy coming out with his own armory when uh, when we cut to his house before him and Esme make love. And uh, Esme's not meant for the housewife. Uh, no. They're not meant to stay anywhere. No. I mean, did you see the portraits? Did you pay attention to them? I saw that they were a mess and not... The walls look dirty as hell. Oh, yeah. But the, the interior uh, design, like everything is just out of place. I mean, that portrait on the back wall as well. It was even worse, or not even worse. It was it was bad when Ada showed up. Yeah, and she starts to straighten it up as like the first thing she it does. It still wasn't even straight. <laughs> yeah, I still like the fact though that Esme and John have come a long way from being like the scared arranged marriage to truly loving each other. You know, mm-hmm. it's a it's a nice little nice little arc right there. But yeah. uh, Tommy at this point is trying to call his siblings, which I found weird that he had taken so long to call them. I mean, one thing is to be mad at your siblings, but another thing is to not alert them sooner. Well, the moment. This know? is this is Thursday, Christmas Eve. This is this is that evening, right? Like, so it's really only a few hours later. I know, but you would think that you know, if your brother got a card that said, "Hey, 
there's assassins who are going to kill the whole family. Like that's a call that happens right after you close the card. That's not a card. That's not a call that happens three hours after you open the card. Yeah. Yeah. That's my point. I don't have anything else to elaborate on. There's nothing else to say. No, I mean, realistically, yeah, you would want to call right away. But he's also dealing with a family that hates him. So I'm sure he's overthinking things. No more hate when they're dead, right? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, Uh, The only bailout I'll give Tommy is that he was working and trying to figure out what the black hand means and how well armed these mobsters could be which means he was talking with inspector moss he was doing some research yeah who's his paid cop in small heath Mm -hmm. yeah i mean a little bit of research calling him later although i find it a little google searching something i mean i don't know what you what you what you'd be googling with back then um i find it interesting though that everybody knows what the black hand is like immediately not not everybody just arthur john and tommy know what it means michael asks asks what it means ada didn't know what the hell it meant and paulie seems to have known what have meant what it meant but for the most part it's it's just for the gang members or the the more grizzled of the crew who know mm. what it means. Um, last visit of Ada's night and probably the most timely was Polly's house, which she kind of arrives and Polly stops freaking out in the snap of a second. Mm-hmm. I love that Christmas tree, by the way. It's, it's massive. <laughs> yeah, he's got like seven Christmas trees in his house. Uh the most interesting scene in the episode is the way they drop a little hint earlier where they talk about this angry chef. He's from another country and uh, he doesn't like to be rushed on his meals. He needs to know how many people he's prepping for, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And again, we get this alert from this from this chef and this assistant. This assistant that needs to know very specific details about who and what time and how many for this party that Tommy is throwing on Christmas Day at his house. And it's at this point that Tommy realizes that he has an assassin in his home. Yeah. And so he does what anybody would do. And he goes down there and he takes care of business. (laughs) (laughs) Although very interesting that the way he outs him is by handing him a 10, no, I would say dollar, but what, 10 pounds. 10 pound bill or something whatever as you see he he goes down there and he's still trying to suss out who's who Mm -hmm. but how about the italian looking dude with the mustache yeah (laughs) clearly this dude he's the italian yeah (laughs) yeah also the guy who doesn't stand up when the owner of the house comes in right well the other guy was already standing wasn't he yeah but this guy doesn't really care he has to like be told to hey don't don't stand up you're good yeah a little disrespectful. It's like if you're working at the White House and the president walks in. Like, you stand up. You should. You get yeah. up. Yeah, you get up, man. What the hell? Show some respect. I like how uh, he tur- Tommy turns around and is like, ah, maybe. Maybe that's him. Well, he's trying to confirm it's it. Right? He's, trying to, he's trying to confirm his theory here. Yeah. All right. And we see the stag that Tommy ordered to be killed earlier in the day. And the geese. I never noticed the geese head being chopped off. Yeah. Well, we see a bunch of hanging animals that are being prepped for tomorrow's dinner, which has never made me more hungry in my life. 
Really? <laughs> what? I was asking seriously. Like, is it, does it make you hungry? No, not really. Oh. <laughs> it is pretty epic. I, I visited the Biltmore Estate in North Carolina. Uh huh. And they have this kind of stuff, like in the basement, where you got like your own, you know, butcher's area and your own kitchen down there, and the prep area and pantry, and it's pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. I got to go there at some point. My wife's oh, been. Yeah. I just haven't been. It's fantastic. You're gonna love it. Go during uh, Christmas time. They have uh, they do all the Christmas lights, and they even do a tour that's got all the Christmas trees up and all that thing. <laughs> the only thing is, is that the garden's dead, so you don't you don't can't really appreciate the garden. But yeah, but I like snow. Oh yeah, you get some snow too. When we got there, it was was it snowing? It was damn cold, man. My God, it was <laughs> freezing. It was like I have to dress uh, dress in the blinders. Outside. One day we were there. It was like near nearly like zero degrees. It was crazy. Yeah. We were there during a winter storm. Well, Tommy goes down to the basement and starts grilling the also chef. Italian chef and gets down to the bottom of who's who here, right? Because this is very similar to the whole last season threat where he says, are you more scared of Section D in the future? Or are you right more now. scared of the Peaky Blinders at 1144 mm-hmm. <laughs> or 1143? <laughs> <laughs> and... uh here it's the same notion. Like, are you scared of Sabini or are you scared of me right now? Because you're not leaving this place alive if you if you answer incorrectly here. Right? Mm-hmm. You figure this guy's dead regardless. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that he's not, honestly. Well, he has the worst poker face in history, which I can't blame him. He's just an innocent butcher. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I thought he was kind of just playing, not playing dumb, but he just seemed kind of oblivious to everything. And then, you know, I kind mm-hmm. of thought some of it was just... A language barrier, things like that. Well, Sabini's but, no cupcake either, right? Yeah, of course not. I got to say, this assassin has got to be the worst assassin ever. Why are you still peeling potatoes? You have your man in a spot where he's in a back room. You could, He could have killed Tommy already. He gave Tommy about 10 minutes back there. Whenever would Tommy go down oh. to the butcher's area? Right? Oh, the hook and the collarbone. If you're going to put it anywhere. Damn. It's a vicious scene. Like, oh, it vicious. Really Which, you got to give it to the assassin. He goes down without giving out any other additional information as to the strength of their forces. And <laughs> talk about a bad day at work if you're yes. the chef. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Tommy kills the assassin, covered in blood. He looks like something out of a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And he tells the chef to send Sabini a message that after they've dealt with the Americans, he's coming after Sabini. Yeah. This kind of reminds me of The Shining a little bit, just with all of that blood. Yeah, you got to love Shelby Household. A gunshot goes off, and there's nobody rushing into the room or anything like that. It's just like, <laughs> everyone keep working. Uh, at least that's what you figure's going on. Well, in the I didn't other room. do anything. I'm not gonna yeah. lie. Shit, what, what the could that have been? Tommy went back there, <laughs> huh? One guy came out, three went in. <laughs> it's a little bloody. It's I okay. Love, it's just a butching help. I love the fact that the way they introduce Johnny Dogs is is there a gypsy in the public bar playing the fiddle for shillings. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Dogs is in a tavern playing the fiddle for some money. 
And he's actually a loyal enough worker to come in and dispose of a body on Christmas Day. <laughs> Talk about like the most <laughs> oh, <fuck Tom. laughs> the most messed up thing. But doesn't everybody want a Johnny Dogs? You know what I mean? You got to have one by your side. Some little guy. <laughs> I don't he's think you can ever find one. I, I still need a, t- a Johnny Dogs prequel movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I could I'd totally see it. a spinoff of the jo- like. What the heck does he do when he's not on set here? Yeah. That would that it, it would be like a comedy or something. Tommy gives Johnny Dogs orders to dispose of the body and to send it, leave it unburned as a message to the Italians. Are who those all kill real candles on that tree? Holy crap! I'm not sure. Are they? I think they just were. Look at them. They're like blowing in the wind. They look like real candles. That's amazing. That's kind of terrifying, honestly. Also, kind of, yeah, damn, very dangerous. It makes you, or actually, I don't know where I was going with that, but Tommy springs into action the moment that he kills the assassin. He picks up Charlie, packs mm-hmm. up the presents, and Grace's portrait, and alerts his whole alerts Michael to get the entire family to Small Heath immediately, yeah. which seems like John doesn't get the memo because this is nighttime when Tommy kills the guy, which means that Michael probably sprang into action overnight, right? Yeah. Which means that John didn't listen, and so now he's had to come to his house personally to alert him. Because John's mm-hmm. already there with his gun locked and loaded. Yeah. At this point, it's too late. And, you know, Tommy was right. Earlier in the episode, he says, everybody, everybody to Small Heath, whoever wants to see another Christmas. Mm-hmm. He tells Arthur, put a gun to Linda's head if you have to and get her there. Yeah. But it's too late. By the time Michael gets there, the Italians arrive and they shoot up John and Michael, which caps the episode. We don't know what happens to John or Michael. If anyone lived, only one who seems to have gotten away unscathed is Esme. Yeah. These guys have got Tommy guns all trained. on. There's like two or three of them. You know, realistically speaking... Why would you leave the property without double tapping everybody? I mean, you got shot about four or five times. I don't know. You can't walk 15 feet? You know Do what you I mean? care if you didn't kill him now, you'd kill him later. Of course. I don't want to have to double do a job. I just killed the t- only two men at the house. Yeah. I mean, I don't walk the ten I don't feet. Think they were. It's I don't always think a plot hole with these things. Well, yeah. I mean, if you had a uh, if you had high quality assassins, you'd never have a show because everybody would be dead. Love. Well, you'll have to cut that one little sharing portion there because I was from season six. What are you talking about? Oh, the share tab went to went to episode season six. Oh, oh well. Anyways, whatever. I didn't hear anything. I'm just saying, like, if you're going to do something, do it well, you know? Yeah. You went all the way there. You've you've gone across in a ship from America over here, probably from America or from other place in Europe to assassinate some people. You go over and just check. Mm -hmm. There's no one there. You're in the middle of the countryside. It's not like cops are pulling up out of nowhere. That's true. That's true. I mean, I... I only saw, or I mean, John Boy looked like he got shot like five times. Or uh, not Arthur, Michael, maybe like two or three. I'm kind of wondering how they 
didn't get more like th- those drums can hold like 50 to 100 rounds there was at least two guns shooting bad marksmanship i mean that's worse than bad marksmanship man just uh aim down the sight anyways another a, another another cliffhanger with people being shot which was the last one Gra- uh, grace uh well i mean we had in season one we had the uh grace and inspector campbell showdown with yes the, the gunshot yeah i, I always it. felt that that bang at the end of season one uh-huh was an open-ended it was like the writer didn't know whether he wanted grace to die or campbell to die and so he kind of left it open yeah that's how i kind of took it i could be wrong it, it could be i i don't know i mean but, y- you're gonna want to leave some stuff fairly unresolved on your pilot season by the way uh i did reach out to the writer of the show oh yeah or his agents um Stephen Knight to be on the podcast. Unfortunately, he's unavailable. But <laughs> <laughs> did they respond? <laughs> they did. They actually did respond to me today. Oh, wow. They said he's unavailable at the moment. Oh, what a but, shame. But um, in the future, you never know. Send this stuff to him. Tag it. Yeah, Post tag it on him. Twitter Send and tag it. him. Say all of you out there, we've seen a little uptick in our in our listenership here. Use your collective power. Petition us. We want Stephen Knight on the show. My goal is to bring him onto the show and to convince him. I don't know if you've caught up with season six, but I'm just going to tell you, after season six, there's going to be a movie. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's not a spoiler. It's, it's just- It's been confirmed. It's been confirmed. That is public information. Okay? I want to convince him to not do a movie. I want him to do one more season. <laughs> I'll come on board. I'll work for free for him. If that means anything. Would that, you think that would take him over the top? Yeah, absolutely. This random guy, I don't know. Yeah, totally. He's going to work for free for me. We'll do a podcast. you imagine that? That'd be some amazing content. <laughs> you know? You're going to do a podcast on I'll film a documentary. I'll direct the documentary about the making of the final season of Peaky. I honestly <laughs> think Peaky needs one more season. It, it, it is such a great show as a TV show. Uh, although... Don't go too like far. I'm kind I'm of not, taking us into dangerous waters. I, I'm here. not. The only thing I was going to say is, even though it's a really, really great TV show, I still think if they do a movie, they're, they're going to do a kick-ass job. Like, I think it's going to come out really well. It's almost like, eh, I don't even want to. Yeah. I just like it so much. I want it to be, first and foremost, like six episodes to me is not enough. Like, do a 12-episode season. <laughs> I don't know. It's... They they get through so much story without feeling rushed in these. Well, maybe that's part of the problem. There's maybe. some, you know, you could have done a lot more with the other characters. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Yeah. I'm like perfectly fine. I'm just a, I'm a super fan who wants more Peaky. That's really <laughs> what the issue is here. Listen, when the movie comes out, we just got to go back to, to episode one, season one, and start all over again. When the movie comes out, it'll be like, Remember when Star Wars would come out and there'd be like tents everywhere? Mm-hmm. It'll just be me. <laughs> it's just gonna be. It's just gonna be Mario. Camp I'll be the only guy in a in a tent. Yeah. Wait to see. <laughs> yeah. Sir, you can just come back at midnight. We have plenty. Oh man. Alrighty. Well, that wraps season four, episode one. Let's uh, get into the categories. First one I have is best scene. 
I've got a, I've got about three written down. Nah, I think we need a curveball. I need ball. most most infuriating moment. All right, most infuriating. We'll start there. Esme's high horse. Understand, you got a bunch of children in the house. How about that? How about that? Are these the most well-behaved children ever? I mean, they're Not- probably sleeping at midnight on Christmas Eve. Give me a break, man. Give me a break. <laughs> Give me a I, break with this nonsense. This uh, is the biggest plot hole of the century is John Boy's kids. Where are his kids? They're never present. They're literally having sex in the middle of the family room. Where are the kids? <laughs> Bro, they're asleep in their bedroom. I don't know. They're related to, to John Boy and Esme. You think these are well-behaved kids? Well, only one of them is related to Esme. That's enough. That's enough. Not a baby crying in the <sighs> house? Give me a break. That place should look like the Weasley's house. And Harry Potter with the amount of kids they got. Well, John I mean, has five it, it did kids. Look pretty all over the place. There, there was just no other bodies in the in the house. We've successfully gone four seasons, well, three whole seasons and one episode in the fourth without ever seeing John Boy's kids. We've heard them once in season one. Spoiler alert: you go the whole series without seeing John Boy's kids. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why you need at least seven episodes in a season. You gotta Shows get me. get one with the kids in it. For real, <sighs> I I. I wasn't a big fan of uh, I'll save that one for another one because it fits in it fits into another category better. I think the most odd thing to me or concerning thing, maybe maybe not most annoying thing, is the fact that you've got an entire Christmas tree lit up with candles. Oh my god. Yeah. How do you put that out and spend the time to light that up and not like Turn your back without worrying that the entire thing is going to go up in flames and burn your house down. I think we need to Google search how did they light up Christmas trees in the past. Yeah, we got to do something. If it was actually candles, that sounds asinine. How? That is like the worst idea I've ever heard of. (laughs) Let's see. Many of the trees were lit with actual candles. After quite a few fires, people shifted to tinsel ornaments and eventually artificial lights. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, there wasn't widespread agreement on exactly what a tree should look like, which made for lots of creativity. So they did used to use real candles on a tree. Let's just put some fire on some firewood. That's great. Amazing. Oh, man. I think you should try it this year. Yeah, put put the whole apartment complex up in That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> we still have insurance. <laughs> yeah. Oh, All man. right, other categories. All right, next category. Let's go to most memorable characters. I've got two. I've got the... I got one. Okay. The old man at the beginning who uh, gets the letter from the king. <laughs> he was pretty great. Sir, it's, it's, it's 5 a.m., why do I come up? <laughs> yeah. uh, I like that one. Uh, my top two in this one is Ada, just because I think she gets a lot of FaceTime in the episode. She's going to visit everybody. We see her everywhere. As Bill Simmons would say, is this Apex Mountain Ada here? I top of her game? I don't know. Has she ever gotten more shine in a single episode till now? Not as this central really? figure to the whole thing? Not family? really, no. I mean, she's had, I think she's had more face time on some episodes in season one, but mm-hmm. this, the episodes weren't 
solely focused on her other than you know a few small pieces of it like oh i'm running away with freddie thorn i'm now pregnant that was kind of it <laughs> i'm from london Is that, <laughs> that was what your impression sounded like right now <laughs> Uh, I'm running away with Freddie Thorne. <laughs> my my second most favorite, most memorable character in this one was Polly in her new deranged state. <laughs> it's a uh, it's probably one of the other things that I also didn't like about the episode. It's Polly's very bizarre personality. I feel change. like it's boring at this point to continue to say Tommy. It is. You got to pick somebody else. But I, this is like not voting for LeBron James in his prime seasons for MVP. It's like, oh, but we, we voted for LeBron last year. Well, he's still the best freaking player in the league. Like, does he get punished for how great he is? It's Tommy again, dude. It's Tommy again. Paulie's second place. And the guy who has to wake up the king third. <laughs> That's He wins the award of like the random guy who owns his moment. He's not in the episode again. I don't remember him in the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. But he owns that moment. Yeah, yeah, he does own the moment. I, but I, even when you were, even when you were describing him, that guy at the beginning of the, uh, <laughs> the episode, I was you're, like, who? You knew immediately? Oh, no, no I wasn't know? sure who you were talking about. So you're like the one who got the letter. Well, wake, wake him up. up. Yeah, I just remember that line always. <laughs> as as I remember other lines from other people, sometimes like the. No, you can't go that far. <laughs> I can't Sorry, go there yet. You can't go there. <laughs> I can't announce him. When you go to season five, there is a character that has one moment that lives in infamy for me. Yep. Uh, there's some others that I can't think of right now. Oh, uh, Lizzie, when she's about to get raped at the race, she goes, Well, are you? Yeah. Well, are you? That's another line you always you always blurt out. It's and just like the, it's etched which into one my you brain. Which one blind or devil? That's not one of mine, though. Which one is that one? It's the it's the one from season two. I oh, think. the little boy. The, yeah, little boy. Is that season two or season? I think so I, because Michael was there. Which one it? of you? Oh, the one goes on the stairs. Which one of you is the yeah. Peaky Blinder Devil? Yeah, 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 that is a good yeah. one, Zach. That's a great one. <laughs> uh, other like random lines that pop up. Oh, there's a lot. I can't think of of I can't think of any of the others right now. <laughs> well, while you try to think of some others, now I'm going to go back to our our original opening uh, category. <laughs> it's Tommy Shelby Alfie. <laughs> Best scene of the episode. I've got three written down. Best scene. Mm-hmm. Um. I think mine are pretty t- simple, t- honestly. It's a toss-up for me. Okay. It's a toss-up between the opening montage with the nooses and mm-hmm. that whole sequence, and then one of mine. them being saved, and then Tommy realizing about the the chef assistant being a, an assassin. That mm-hmm. that scene is awesome too. The yeah. intensity of that. Those were my two top ones. It, it's you know the whole gallows and then Tommy dealing with the assassin in the kitchen, uh, and then my third, which is it's not my favorite scene at all, but it is it's definitely one that sticks with you. It's the whole shooting at the end of the episode, the big cliffhanger. Oh yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. 
Yeah, I, but it wasn't my favorite because when I'm seeing it's two of my favorite, favorite characters getting shot, it's like it's hard to put that in there. But I get what you're saying as far yeah. as memorable. Yeah, it, it, um, I, I put it down just because it sticks with you. It's by no means my favorite. That is for sure. Yeah, agreed, agreed. <clears throat> Anything else? Yes, we got one more. Best lines of the episode. I have two on this one. Well, I came up. <laughs> That's not mine. I didn't want to take yours. <laughs> <laughs> that's mine so you can just go with yours now uh, right. i like the esme when uh when john boy walks in holy shit it's father christmas yeah it's great <laughs> <laughs> you've got literally john boy walks in just dressed in like rambo yeah literally looks like rambo walking in instead of santa with a, a bag of christmas presents it's uh john boy with bullets and guns strapped to him. <laughs> uh and then my my second one is the the brief back and forth between uh, the butcher and Tommy, where Tommy is trying to shake his hand, and the butcher's like, "Oh, my hand, blood." Tommy's like, "So, so is mine. mine." Yeah, so is mine. Those are my uh, those are my tops. Yeah, that's that's a good one. I still I can't think of anything better than, "Well, bloody wake him up." <laughs> <laughs> oh that, man, that scene is just. <laughs> All right, that's seriously mine. So, oh uh, well, good. that that's good then. then that's I will, the end of the episode. Then I we're good. Wrap we're good. it up. Yes, thank you for listening to season four, episode one of the Peaky Blinders podcast by Story Archives. You can find this podcast anywhere you find podcasts: Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts. You can find us on Instagram at Story Archives, and you can visit our website at StoryArchives.TheMidnightExchange. Dot com, which brings us into the podcast network, TheMidnightExchange.com. Visit that website. There. There's a whole bunch of links out to other social networks. All updating soon. Exactly. I was going to get to that, but oh, yes, it is, it is updating soon. I've got to, I'm going to have to officially change up our uh, uh, outros, at, uh, I guess, on the next the next episode. We may as well switch yeah, it up. Yeah. What else do they have to do, Zach, when they find our podcast on, on these networks? Well, when you find the podcast on the networks, make sure that you give us a thumbs up. You rate it five stars where you can. And remember to leave a comment. If you leave a comment, we will shout you out on the episode. In your comment, just put your favorite Peaky Blinders line ever. That is going to be wild. I would love I like to that. know. I like that. Yeah. Thank Great you all for action. tuning in. Stay peaky. (laughs) (laughs) I said that with a question mark. (laughs) You're like, stay peaky? (laughs) All right. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time. Take care. And stay peaky. (laughs) Peace.